Thanks, Kendrick. Uh, good morning, church. It's great to see you guys. Um, I just want to say thank you on behalf of uh, my family and all of our young families here. Thank you guys for loving us and caring for us as a church. Uh, it means the world to us. Um, it's great to see you this morning. My name is Pastor Tim. Uh, Kendrick already said that, but just in case. And uh, I just want to say welcome, kids. You guys are in the service with us today. I see you in the back. Holla, shout out. They're waving. Yeah, it's good stuff. Awesome. Uh, Yeah, guys, this is our family Sunday. A couple times a year we invite the kids in because we believe uh, not just that they need a break, uh, our child care workers, that's a small part of it, but the main thing is we believe that we can worship together as a family, and that includes all of us, even the kids, um, and that they all have a part to share in, in worshiping Jesus together. So that's why we're doing it today. Uh, parents, uh, we hear you. It's totally fine. There's nothing they can yell that distracts me. I live in a house with a six-month-old and a two-year-old, so it, this is the calmest the, uh, my week will be all week, so it's great. Uh, the real act of God was that we got six preschoolers and infants here to church uh, intact. Like, that was, that's amazing. You know, that does not always happen, so it's a good, a good morning. Uh, you guys can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Uh, we are continuing to study the parables of Jesus. These are the stories he told, taken from everyday life, that teach a spiritual lesson. And for the Kids Sunday, we saved the shortest parable probably in the Bible, all three verses of it uh, that we are going to read today. These are the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. So turn with me, Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21, and let's hear what God's word has to say to us this morning. Jesus said, therefore, this is in verse 18, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it all was leavened. Will you pray with me, church? Father, we ask that you be with our time this morning as we study this parable that you've told and that you would use it to teach us about your kingdom, to teach us about following Jesus together as a church. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart this morning be pleasing and acceptable in your eyes, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we've said when looking at a parable with these stories that Jesus told, the important thing is to find the central idea, to find the big picture idea that Jesus is communicating. What is the spiritual truth? And we find that um, in this question that Jesus repeats twice. He says, to what can I compare the kingdom of God? Right? These two illustrations are little, little pictures meant to tell us something about God's kingdom. Okay, so that's, these are kingdom parables. That's what we want to focus on. Um, and, and we should start by asking then, what is the kingdom of God? Because if you read through the Gospels, you're going to see this idea all over the place. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And it's really easy to kind of just read on through that and keep going and, and not stop to ask, like, well, well, what does the kingdom of God mean? Um, and so we want to start there. If you're in my small group from last year, you're going to groan a little bit because I really drilled into them. Like, we need to define what the kingdom is. And so Alex back there is probably, like, cringing because we talked about this a lot, but it's important. So what is God's kingdom? It's in the Gospels, but it's through the whole Bible. This is the idea that God is the king and ruler of the world. The kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God in our world. Now, the good news, the gospel that we talk about all the time, it's the message of this kingdom. 
and it's Messiah, the one who's bringing in about King Jesus, who's come to bring God's power back into a broken and sinful world that has been overcome by sin and darkness. We can think of it a lot like a king, a good king who has won a dramatic victory over the invading forces of evil and darkness and sin that have attacked his good land. The victory has been won, and the the last remnants of evil, of darkness, are being pushed out of the kingdom. This is the victory that began with Jesus' birth, life, and death on the cross. And the coming of the kingdom means that God's rule, not just in creation, but in our hearts, in our lives, has started with Jesus. And it's continuing. God has started to keep all of his promises in Jesus, and they will be fulfilled when Jesus comes again. We live in this in-between time, after the start of the kingdom, but before the kingdom has fully come. The kingdom will appear completely, as we said, when Jesus returns and sin and death and evil are defeated forever. This is the kingdom of God. It's about as big as you can get. This is the story of creation of the universe, a world that was made perfectly good by God. It was invaded by sin and corruption and that Jesus has defeated and is driving away. The kingdom of God. So what... If the kingdom is this huge, this expansive, what do these tiny little stories about tiny little things have to tell us about the kingdom of God? So let's look at each short parable briefly and try and figure it out. Um, These are two images. We'll start with the mustard seed, right? Jesus starts with two images about farming and kind of everyday life of baking, of bread, and and of seeds, right? And this is something that would have been really, really regular, really every day for the people he was talking to. They were farmers. They, they grew their own food. They made their own bread. That's how they lived. That's how they spent their days. And so he takes these two really common things and uses it to teach them about something uncommon, about something huge and grand. The first is the grain of mustard, uh, a, a grain of mustard seed that grows to become a large tree. Now, this is a really common kind of seed they had back then, and it was known as famous for its small size. I have a bag right here. Can you see it? Probably not. Kids, how many, how many seeds do you think are in there? Seven. Good guess. I don't know. I didn't count them. There's a lot of them, and they're small. So if you, had, if you guessed it right, good for you. I don't know. Um, they're very small, right? It's really difficult to see. I think we have a picture, too, that we can maybe put up on the screen. Yeah, that's a mustard seed. It's really small. Um, It's tiny. The whole point of a mustard seed is it's known for being super small, and it grows into a large tree. Um, We have a picture of a mustard tree as well when it grows up. This is um, a pretty large tree, a pretty common tree. Uh, You can see a little antelope there, just give you a little scale. It's a big tree, you know, not the biggest, but pretty big. And when you're starting from a mustard seed, that's a pretty good, pretty good contrast, really small to really big. That's kind of the main idea here. Then we get into that second parable, the parable of the leaven. Um, unless you started during the lockdowns last year, most of us don't make our own bread anymore. That was kind of a trend for a while. Uh, but leaven is something that you would put in the flour, you'd mix it up, and it causes flat, thin bread to grow up and become the good, uh, you know, goodness that we uh, enjoy today with bread. Um, and just a little tiny pinch, just a little bit of yeast or something like that takes your dough and makes it into something much larger and much more satisfying and much more filling. It's essential for transforming the dough. And so these two things, these two ideas, both get to this idea of contrast, of something really tiny, really minuscule and insignificant, having a great effect, and producing something so much bigger than we would see, something small becoming very large. Obscure beginnings can have massive results. And this is the idea that Jesus is getting at. Seed and leaven are both small and unimportant and unimpressive. 
Um, but each performs an impressive transformation. Each produces something that you would never expect if you didn't know what it was, and we're looking at it at only its outward appearances. You and I would ever imagine that a tiny speck could become a tree, or that a tiny pinch of something could influence the whole. These parables show us that a mighty kingdom can start from apparently obscure beginnings. Tiny, insignificant pieces that we would never think are building to something greater actually do build to the greatest thing in our world. This is what Jesus is teaching us of the kingdom here. So there's two important truths we want to take from this idea of obscure beginnings and massive results. The first is that we shouldn't overestimate the large and the impressive. We shouldn't overestimate the large and impressive. The Jewish people of Jesus' day, they were looking for God's kingdom. They were living under the rule of foreign invaders, the Romans. And they were waiting every day with bated breath for the king who's going to come. And he's going to do away with these guys. And he's going to bring his kingdom. He's going to bring his rule, not just for us, but for the entire world. They were waiting. And what they thought that was going to look like was a massive invasion, a big and bloody fight. A magnificent king on a horse leading an army at charge that would not only drive the Romans out of Israel, but would take it all the way to the gates of Rome and burn those cities to the ground. They thought, big. This is going to be big. This is going to be impressive. And Jesus pushes against this idea. All the enemies of God, the Romans, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, they thought this would be this massive war. And Jesus says, no, this is, this is not true. They were looking for something large and impressive, but this parable warns us that we can be naturally drawn to these impressive things, but we should not overestimate them. That oftentimes what looks massive and large and unbeatable are actually small and temporary. They're nothing in God's plans. We, just like Israel, just like the Jewish people, we're drawn to the big, right? We're drawn to everything that's the most impressive, the most new. Um, The world gravitates towards the victor, to the ones who have the most influence, the most popularity or power, the strongest, the most attractive. And this is true of nations, of empires, of celebrities and politicians, and even sports teams, right? Down with the Yankees. But everyone loves the Yankees because they win. They're impressive. They have a resume, right? We love anything that looks like a winner. But this parable warns us that the kingdom is not going to look like the kingdoms of this world. It's not going to be impressive and, and, and strong to our eyes at first. The kingdom is like leaven or mustard seed that begins subtly, even quietly and humbly. And Jesus warns us not to flock to whatever the biggest and the best thing in our eyes is at the moment. There's a vision in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, that warns against placing our trust in the powerful and the impressive. And it uses the same image that Jesus does in the parable of the mustard seed. It uses the image of a tree. An impressive tree that that draws everyone together for shelter, that the birds can nest in and find safety. And and this is an image that's used a lot of times. Kings and and empires are represented by a mighty tree that stands for, for miles to see, okay? And the point here is the opposite of the mustard seed. What looks large and impressive can actually be brought very low very quickly. Here's what Daniel 4 says. In Daniel 4, chapter, or verse 10 through 12, He says, I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. And the tree grew and became strong, and it reached the top of the heavens, and was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in in it was food for all. And the beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Now Daniel comes, and he explains this vision, and he tells him that this is talking about Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, 
Now, this guy was impressive in his day. He ruled over the most powerful empire in the world that had conquered everybody they could find. No one had stood up to him. They were rolling everybody. And more than that, they had conquered Jerusalem, God's people. They had taken them to exile. They had ended the nation of Israel. They had broken down God's temple. They were unambiguously the victors. And at that moment in time, Babylon looked untouchable. And Nebuchadnezzar felt like a god on earth. No one can approach me. No one is as strong as me. And so he's compared to this impressive tree that everyone flocks to, the strongest and the most impressive. But this kingdom is not God's kingdom. It's not built on God and his power. It's built on human power and human ideas. And it's really just a human king built on pride and sin. And it was, in fact, neither invincible nor lasting. In just a number of decades, Babylon was gone Nebuchadnezzar was long dead, and the next guys came through to take over. God proclaims in verse 14, Chop the tree down and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its, from its branches. The tree doesn't stand. The kingdom falls. Nebuchadnezzar is diminished and dead. No matter the strength, no matter the size and the greatness, human kingdoms end. God cuts them down. Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Rome, China, the Incan Empire, the USSR, and maybe even, yes, the United States are all temporary powers. They'll either fall or have already long since fallen. Secularism, communism, liberalism, conservatism, whatever ism you want to have, they come and they go. Whatever a human kingdom might be, a leader, a nation, an ideology, a belief system, a fortune, all of these things fade with time. All these impressive trees fall. We cannot place our faith and our trust in them. Jesus is telling us, as Daniel did, to prepare, um, to, to beware of placing our trust in the large and impressive. Followers of Jesus will find no shelter in the kingdoms of this world. We are citizens of a different kingdom. And that brings us to our second lesson, that we don't underestimate the small and unimpressive. Right? We don't underestimate what looks small and unimpressive to the eyes of the world. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like a pinch of yeast. It's not like the kingdoms of the world. The way that God works is not impressive to our eyes most of the time by worldly standards. Now this kingdom has a king who was born in a stable with only shepherds there to see it. He worked as a carpenter and he was executed as a criminal. The citizens of this kingdom come from the weak, the lowly, the poor, and the powerless. Paul says to the Corinthians, you guys aren't that impressive. (laughs) But you're part of the kingdom. You're not the best and the brightest. It's harsh. As we've studied the Gospel of Luke, we've seen time and again how the message of Jesus goes to the unexpected, the unimpressive, the unable, and the unworthy, to the lowly. And this parable comes right after Jesus healing a a woman who's been crippled, who's been... um, uh, um, impaired her back she's been bent over for 18 years and he heals her and this healing doesn't shake the foundations of the roman empire right it doesn't change the course of human history as we know it it didn't seem that big a deal it was helpful for that woman but it was small it didn't appear to be something massive something cosmic when it was happening but jesus tells us this is the kingdom of god at work in the small the unimportant the ordinary things of our lives. Whatever seems obscure and unimportant is part of the greatest movement of the universe. And the tiny 
the little pieces of our lives, just regular old you and me, are part of the coming of the almighty creator's rule and reign. These are the mustard seeds that grow into a mighty tree. There's another Old Testament example, uh, example that uses the same imagery of trees and kingdoms. And this one gets to the same idea that Jesus does with the mustard seed and the tree. This comes from the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 17. And it talks of another tree providing protection and care for the world around it. Here the prophet says, Thus says the Lord God, this is God speaking through the prophet, I myself will take a sprig from a lofty top of a cedar, and I will set it out. I will break off the topmost of its young twigs as a tender one, and I will plant, I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel I will plant it, that it might bear branches and produce, uh, produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. God is saying that he's going to take a twig. Nothing big. Just this tiny little piece of a, palm, or a, a pine tree. He's take the smallest of pieces. He's going to plant it on top of a mountain. And that twig he's going to cause to grow into the largest, most magnificent cedar that the world has ever seen. From these tiny beginnings, this great tree that, that people will flock to to look for protection and safety and shelter and sustenance. God is taking the small and unimpressive and making something massive. And, and we know that the prophet here is talking about the kingdom of God, the coming Messiah who we know to be Jesus Christ. It started as a twig, a mustard seed, a pinch of leaven, but it transforms the universe. And unlike the trees of the world which come and go, this tree is lasting. This kingdom lasts forever. Ezekiel was speaking to those who had been exiled, those who had been uh, made refugees and slaves by Nebuchadnezzar. These were the conquered people he's speaking to. They're living in exile in Babylon under the chains of their, their captors, their conquerors. And he's telling them, don't worry about Babylon. It's not going to last. And from you guys, from you humble refugees, you broken people, will come the king of the greatest kingdom the universe has ever seen. That must seem unbelievable to them. It must seem unfathomable that from such humble beginnings, the kingdom could come. God welcomes and protects the lowly and unlikely and uses them to accomplish his great purposes. I have another slide, a picture. Kids, if you want to look at a picture, this is what it is. You see at the top, you have the kingdoms of this world. You have a tree, and it is shrunk down, and it eventually becomes kindling. It's firewood. The kingdoms of this world do not last. What's big and impressive becomes small. But then on the other hand, you have these seeds, nothing, little tiny specks. And they will grow. They will expand to this great cosmic kingdom that will have no end. This is the parable of the mustard seed and leaven. This is the idea that, that Jesus is getting at, and is the idea of Scripture, that we must not look to the world for our safety, for our protection, for our future. We look to Jesus, even if we can't see it. And this is great news for you and I. This is the great news of the gospel. We do not need to chase after worldly greatness and fame and accomplishments. We are safe in Jesus. We have victory in Jesus. He uses us in our weakness, in our smallness, to bring about his kingdom. Kids, you guys are in here. I haven't forgot. This is great news for you guys, isn't it? You don't have to wait to be used by God in his kingdom. Jesus says the kingdom is for kids like you guys. He says, welcome, come to me. Kids can follow Jesus. Kids can be used as part of his kingdom right now. 
That is amazing news. There's no other kingdom of the world that includes children like this. We can love the uh, people around us when we're children and show them Jesus' love, and we can tell others about Jesus even before we are grown, before we're uh, intelligent and wise and all the things that come with maturity. You guys have it already. You have what you need to be followers of Jesus. New Christians, this is good news for you. You don't need 10 years of experience. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need to have the Bible memorized backwards and forwards to be used by God where you are with what you know right now. You're part of this kingdom. And God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. Church, this is good news for us. We don't need to have seven campuses. We don't need to have 10 services with 2,000 people each. We don't need a multi-million dollar budget or hundreds of thousands of followers on YouTube to be part of God's kingdom, to be part of God's mission in our community, to be uh, emissaries of God's kingdom right now. God's not looking for the most impressive or the strongest or the wisest or the bravest. He's looking for us who will follow him no matter where we are, no matter where we come from. The kingdom of God comes from the small and the unlikely. And so what is our response to this news of the kingdom? What is our response to the kingdom that begins as a seed and grows to this impressive, everlasting tree and kingdom? I think that it comes down to a really simple word. It comes down to trust. We can trust God and his promises. We can trust in a kingdom that began 2,000 years ago and will be completed when Jesus returns, although we don't know the time, although we don't know the day. All of the enemies of God will be defeated, and we trust in him even when we cannot see it. Even when it looks like everything is against us, even when it looks like we are retreating and being surrounded and being overrun, we know that is not true. We trust in God and his kingdom. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 captures this. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Don't trust in worldly wisdom, church. Don't trust in the appearances of the things we see around us. Trust in God and his word and his promises. They will come even when we can't see. Quickly, I have four ways that we can trust God and his kingdom. First, we trust God by repenting. And by this, I mean we stop trusting in these false kingdoms. This is the heart of sin, right? We trust in anything but God. We trust in ourself. We trust in our ability. Uh, We trust in um, our our tribe, our our members, these communities that we belong to, whether they be political or, or anything. We need to stop trusting in these kingdoms which will fall away. To trust in any other kingdom and anything other than Jesus is to reject God and make ourselves his enemies. To make ourselves rebels and enemies of God that will be defeated by the kingdom. If we trust that the kingdom is coming, then we will make sure we are part of his kingdom. We will make sure that we are not aligned with any of these false kingdoms, these enemies of God who will be overrun when the kingdom finally comes. But by God's grace, we can be part of this kingdom. We can be forgiven. No matter where we start, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done in our past, because of Jesus, we can go from being enemies of God in his kingdom to being not only members, not only citizens, but his very children. Children of the king. Heirs who will inherit the riches of the kingdom itself. Trust in Jesus and leave everything else behind. Two, we can invest. This is the second part of that. If if, uh, repenting is turning away, this is diving in. Saying, this is what I'm about. I am a follower of Jesus. And I am a citizen of this kingdom. I'm not going to invest my time and my effort, my heart and my mind and my soul and my strength in anything 
but following Jesus, no matter what that looks like for me, no matter where I am in my life. Church, I challenge you, commit, invest, dive in in the, in the local church. Find people who you can love and who can love you, who you can know and you can be known by. Dive into his word. This is his truth that he has given us to teach us where to go. It is the light um, that guides us on our paths, that, that illuminates us so we can see. Commit your time and resources to the king. And when the kingdom comes, we will be sure, be sure that you have committed to this kingdom and not to any false kingdom. Third, we have to hold fast. Hold fast. It will often look like we are part of the losing side. It'll often look like we are becoming surrounded. I think that the church in our country today feels that to some degree. We feel like we're in a losing battle, and we feel like the tide is turning against us. Followers of Jesus need not fear. We don't need to worry about the tides of culture. We don't need to worry about the nations that rise and fall, because we know, we know we are part of a kingdom that is eternal, that is unshakable. And so we hold fast to what we know. We hold fast to his word. We hold fast to Jesus and say, no matter what comes, no matter what I see, no matter what I feel, no matter when I am surrounded, I know that I am part of the kingdom. I know that I am connected to followers of Jesus from around the world, from hundreds of nations and tribes and tongues, across more than 4,000 years, and that someday I will see each and every one of them. And together we will sing to King Jesus for eternity. I am not alone. I am part of the kingdom that will not fade. Hold fast, church. And lastly, we hope. Trusting in the kingdom means our lives look forward to the day when he returns and the kingdom is here completely. We trust in the day when the victory of God will be complete. When God's word tells us there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, no more sin. No more enemies of God. The day when the twig and the mustard seed have grown into a mighty tree. The day when Jesus has come again and we are with him. And we see him not just with the eyes of faith, but with our eyes. We hope for that day. It's a day we cannot see yet, but by faith we trust that it is coming. We know that it is coming. May your kingdom come, Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the kingdom that you are building. And we're thankful that you have chosen in your wisdom and your power to use the unimpressive, to use the small, to use broken and simple people like us to accomplish something that is beyond our wildest dreams. The victory of God in our world. Father, I pray you'd be with our church, that you would remind us of these truths, that we would turn from any false kingdoms, that we would dive into yours, into being followers of the king, that we would hold fast to what we know to be true, and that we would hope for the day when we will be with you. Father, we love you. Send us out as your church to be emissaries, to be representatives of the kingdom in your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, it has been... Wonderful to be with you guys today. Kids, you guys did awesome, and uh, we hope you have a fantastic week. Um, we'll see you next week, church.